You're listening to Give and Go Vikes with Liam and Tyler, supported by the UVic Alumni Association. Give and Go Vikes podcast, the weekly show with two dudes that love sandwiches and attempt to bring you closer to the world of Vikes athletics. It's been a minute since we had some golfers on our podcast. This week, we welcome another brother-sister combo from the Vikes, Bryn and Bruce Tommy. Coming all the way from Nova Scotia, each of the Tommies dominated the links for five years with the Vikes. Today, we sat down with them to discuss their path to the Vikes and talk to some shop along the way. A couple new faces are new people that we haven't heard about before, but were requested pretty highly for this podcast. What did you think of our interview? Is two a trend? I don't think two is a trend because this was our second brother-sister combo from the golf team. So if we have another brother-sister combo from the golf team, if somehow we're able to dig one up going way back in the archives, then I think that becomes a trend. But like you said, these are two athletes that we've never even heard of before. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Melanie Murchison, recommended to us and blown away. I feel like we didn't even have to be present on this podcast. We could have thrown a topic up and just let them go at it, and we just had to back up and stay out of their way because they, they kind of took over, and it was great to hear. Yeah, it was wonderful. I, we could have definitely played the fly on the wall roll there and uh, really enjoyed ourselves. They seem to have some great stories, but also some great victories with the bikes, too. They were two successful golfers, hey? Yeah, we get into it on the podcast. Both are legendary in their own ways with the bikes and just endless amounts of stories. I gave them a quick heads up because I was a little worried that they weren't too familiar with the podcast as some of our other guests have been because we talked to a lot of current athletes and they're probably a little bit more closely on Instagram than maybe these two are. And just to give them a heads up, Hey, you know, we're, you know, we do this thing where we talk about uh, your playing days and any fun stories from the road trips. And it was like, bang, 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 good story, good story, good story to get that thing going. And that was a lot of fun. I think it's also important to mention that this episode comes out at a pretty cool time because we're just about to approach the 24th annual UVic golf classic. Things are looking a little bit different this year. We'll be doing it over a week-long span where you can submit your own scorecard. But it sounds like those two were really appreciative of the funds that come out of that event. Yeah, just working with the Vikes Championship Breakfast, which is another fundraiser on its own for the whole program. I hear from a lot of alumni athletes, and they say they don't really appreciate how much all these uh, little fundraising initiatives mean at the time. And then once they graduate the program and take a step back, it's like, okay, wow, there's really no way I could have done this with all this help. So hopefully we get a great turnout for the Vikes Classic coming up in early October. We got a week to fill it out, a week to play 18. Liam, are you going to play? You know what? I would love to. My 100 scorecard, I don't think is going to crack any top 10s anytime soon, though. It's not about the prizes, Liam. It's about helping out the Vikes. And it's an excuse to... Tell Clint, Clint, I can't work on Wednesday. I'm golfing for the Vice Classic. And what's he going to do? Get mad at you? You better not. Yeah. Better not. Well, I say we kick it right to the episode. Anything else you want to hint before we get into it? No, I don't want to give anything away. I'm tired of giving away hints. The listeners need to listen front to back on this episode because I'm telling you, this is a great one. Wonderful. I love the I love the heat that came behind that. So everybody yeah. enjoy this episode with the Tommies. Hello. 
welcome to the podcast. How are you two doing today? Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're doing good. Thank you so much. So what do you guys know about the podcast so far? Have you heard any of the other guests that we've had? I know that you guys had Melanie and Max on here. So this is going to be a bit of a, it's going to be pretty different than them. They're the two sweetest human beings I think I've ever talked to in my life. So <laughs> I, I apologize in advance. I did listen to some of those too, and it was very good. They set the bar high. And also, they're also a brother and sister combo. So yes. I'm feeling like Bruce and I are not actually as special as we thought we were. <laughs> it wasn't that. You're going to bring something different to the table. Hopefully. We're going to bring yeah, something it, to the table. It just happened to be coincidence. You know, we ask around athletes and people around the program all the time for recommendations who to have on the podcast. And we're going to get into the Vice Classic golf tournament that's coming up later in October, but we wanted to have a couple golfers on. So I asked Melanie and they recommended you both. So happy to have you both on. I think yeah. it's because we're both known for being people who never shut up and we're always talking. So it makes sense that they'd ask us to do that. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I also enjoy sandwiches. So you can add a third guy to your three guys. Oh, that like sandwiches. Love it. So a lot. Love it. I absolutely love that. So let's talk some golf. It's not uncommon for golfers to come from Eastern Canada and play for the bikes, it seems. You guys both come from near Halifax, Bedford, Nova Scotia. What's the population? Oh, God. It's just outside Halifax. So the population of Halifax is what, like a couple hundred thousand people, I think? Bedford yeah. probably has 40-ish. Whenever somebody asks me how big Bedford is, because I also don't know the population, I always say I graduated from a high school that had 1,200 people in it. For three grades. So I was in a class of 400, if that gives you like a scope of how big Bedford is. Okay. Let's actually start with you, Brent, then. So you actually came to the bikes first, is that correct? That's true. Yeah, I am three years older than Bruce. So how did you discover the program and what made you come here? Uh, it's kind of what you were talking about. It was like a Nova Scotia legacy. I knew three people from Nova Scotia and one from PEI who had previously played for the Vikes. So that was Ann Balser. She is older than me to the point that we never overlapped at UVic. She graduated while I was in grade 12. And then there were two guys, uh, Sam and James Holland, also brothers. So I guess a lot of siblings come out of Nova Scotia and go to UVic to play golf. They are twins, a couple years older than me. So they were on the team when I got there and I got a lot of my information from them. And then a girl from PEI. Her name was Michaela Meisner. Uh, she played with me for a few years and her and I uh, met each other when we were teenagers playing against each other in the Maritimes. So what did you find the biggest differences between East Coast golf and West Coast golf being? Playing all year, definitely. I remember oh, the, the first trees. year. It's the trees, oh, for sure. Yeah, the trees They're are a lot huge taller. West. Yeah, that's true. You guys playing over shrubs over in Nova Scotia or what? Oh, it's not well, shrubs, but I mean, it's definitely nothing like, like you're not, you don't stand there like you would see down in Washington or anything like that. Yeah. Well, Bruce is also in the trees a lot more often than I am, which oh, is yeah. why it came to mind so quickly. <laughs> that is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love this little already. I remember the first year I was in Victoria and I was playing golf in December. And I think every day that I played golf in December, I texted home and was like, I can't believe I'm playing golf in December. So to me, that was the biggest change. I don't remember the trees. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Bruce, was it a natural move to follow your sister's footsteps over to Victoria? Yeah, Brynn and I grew up sort of playing together a ton. Like, we spent uh, our whole summers at the cottage together golfing. 
I mean, she was lucky enough to go to UVic, and she obviously had an incredible experience out there, was one of the top players on their team for a long time. And uh, I actually wasn't that great at golf until my grade 12 year, so I didn't have a whole lot of options. And so I sort of got a – I think I sort of got on the team just because I knew Bryn. I came out and played golf with Carbs and uh, met with Justin and sort of got my name out there. But when I was first offered a position, they weren't – planning on actually playing me they're going to redshirt me and then uh, that summer I graduated high school I won the the Nova Scotia junior provincials and four or five other events like I really turned it on for that summer and that's how I ended up kind of playing my way onto that team you're rocking a pretty flowy head of lettuce right now were you rocking the flow back then I actually had longer hair for most of my time with the Vikes I had the man bun going it was about it was probably down to about my nipple or so so it was uh it It was was a hit and I had the big old beard too I have a story about that. One of my favorite memories of Bruce and I in university together was he came over to my house one day. This is when his hair finally got long enough that he could tie it back. And he's like, Brent, I need to ask you something really serious. And I'm like, okay. He goes, I need you to teach me how to put in a ponytail. (laughs) (laughs) And so I sat there and taught my little brother how to ponytail. His hair was great. And doing some research for the pod, I spoke with a couple of your former teammates and they wanted me to ask you, Bruce, does, did the man bun help or hurt the golf game? I wouldn't say it necessarily helped the golf game. It definitely helped the style on the golf course a little bit. I definitely had a little more for head sure. hit me while I was playing. But uh, as yeah. for, it might've had a little bit of power here and there. I might've made a few extra putts, but for the most part, I stored a lot of my energy in my beard and that's where a lot of my game came from. Wow. Oh, interesting. <laughs> It was the intimidation factor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always great. So it sounds like you guys were golfing together a lot growing up. Who got into the sport first? I mean, technically Bruce would have been younger, but we started playing, I don't know, as soon as we could hold a golf club because my dad was obsessed with golf. And I think he realized if he wanted to play all the time, he had to take us with him some of the time. So we used to just like go hit it around and stuff before we were even really able to swing. So I don't have a memory of us not golfing. No, I mean, like I would have been about four or five years old when we started. And it was just because, like Brent said, like our dad loved it. Our grandfather had gotten our dad into it. So he just passed the torch on to us. And then once we started, you couldn't get us to stop. You guys have a first memory of driving a golf cart? I don't have a first uh, memory, but I have a good memory of it. Uh, yeah. me, and my, me and my buddy, we were probably about 10. And you're not allowed to drive the golf carts when you're that young. But we were playing with our dads. And so when we teed off, we went off and with our dads in our carts. But then once we got to the second hole, we swapped carts. So the two of us were together. And we were going up a hill and we just went over this bridge. We went up a hill and then uh, we accidentally bumped it into neutral and the cart rolled off and actually tipped off the bridge. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a good, we've gotten quite a bit of trouble from the golf club with that. One. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I swear they've changed the, they've rigged the golf carts now. I swear like 10 years ago, you go so much faster with them. It's like they clued in and said, Oh, we're losing so much money on all these idiots wrecking our golf carts. We got to do something. Cause it's barely faster than walking now, whereas I, I feel like it, that wasn't always the case. Yeah, and they have, like, GPS things in the golf carts now, so if you're getting yeah. close to the greens and stuff, they slow down. Yeah. So it's not as uh, wild as it used to be on the golf course. Well, they have governors in them, and you can turn them off. Like, we have a, I worked at a golf course for a long time. Like, I was probably spent about five summers working at a golf course, and uh, we had a couple other carts that you could turn the governor off, and those things would rip around. Did you just flip up the feet and find the switch? 
No, I think you actually need a computer like to plug it in. Like there's, it comes with a system and you plug it in and you can set the speed for them. So people don't just flip up the seat and do that. Yeah. I was hoping it would be easier. <laughs> yeah, it's, harder, it's harder than you think. I find it, it's annoying with the smart carts that are like GPS, but they don't give you a warning until you're in the area and that's like restricted. And then you have to back out and you're just beeping and it's yeah. embarrassing. Like I've had friends that didn't even understand that you had to back out. So they just hopped out of their cart and just pushed it as hard as they could through the golf course. There's other groups watching you and thinking you're just like a bunch of <laughs> uh, That's a classic Bear Mountain problem. Yes, yeah, it is. Highland Pacific. That's a classic Highland Pacific. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Really. yeah. Yeah. A lot of environmental sensitive areas around there. Yeah, exactly. When you guys are actually golfing and not messing around with golf carts, I know <laughs> I'm, both Liam and I, we love talking about terrible golf stories and how mad we get on the golf course this year. Uh, golf can be a pretty frustrating sport. That's pretty obvious. Uh, when you're spraying tee shots and you're four putting on the greens. But I've been told that both of you have been, you're some of the nicest, most personable, fun people that the bikes have had in years. Does that carry over onto the golf course? Or do you have an evil side that comes out to you when you go bogey bogey after getting a birdie on a long par four? Well, it just sounds like you were lied to for a while there, Tyler. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I can, I'm going to tarnish my, you know, nice, friendly, non-angry reputation you just gave me. I have a great story and my coach Dave Brands will back this up. It's one of his favorite ones to tell people, but we are playing in the NEIA American Nationals in Nebraska. So Mm -hmm. I've been to Nebraska quite a bit, which is a fun fact. Lincoln, Nebraska. And um, I was playing like the best tournament I've ever played. And I was en route for a top 10 finish, which was something that I really wanted. And I, Dave was following me. So we had two coaches with us, which was cool. So Justin was with the rest of the girls and Dave was kind of sticking with me. And he watched me three putt two holes in a row. And I try to keep my cool on the golf course. I can be a pretty emotional person sometimes, but by the end of my career, I was keeping it cool, which Bruce could vouch for the fact that I don't always keep it cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we get to the next tee and Dave and I are standing there and I'm just silently like fuming. I was so angry, had two holes left to play and I really wanted to finish well. And Dave knew me so well at this point. He'd been coaching me for the last five years. And he's like, you need to let your anger out, don't you? And I said, kind of, can I hit you? And he was like, no, no, he said, absolutely. So he rolled up his sleeve on his arm and he tensed his bicep and he said, hit me as hard as you can. (gasps) Oh my goodness. (laughs) So I actually don't remember if my playing partners watched this happen, but I like wound up and punched Dave square in his tensed muscle and he didn't even flinch. He didn't acknowledge it at all. It wasn't until like two days later that he rolled up his sleeve and showed me this giant welt on his arm. Wow. And that's how good of a coach he was that he let me hit him to let out my frustration. And I will add that I went on to birdie that next hole. Wonderful. So. Did you get that top 10 finish? I ended up in the top 15. I was 11th, which was the best I'd ever done. So I was pretty yeah. happy about that. You got to say top 12 finish. Don't go to 15. Well, I was shooting for the top. 10 but then top 15 um had like a recognition so that's why i went there i don't know who the sports information director was back then i'm guessing it was ali vega i hope somehow she found that and put that in the you know how we always do like the weekend wrap-up story 
that didn't come out. That wasn't a quote from the weekend. No, oh, I don't think bad. we ever told Allie about that. I don't think we told yeah. anyone. Now that I think about it, I, I could probably get in trouble for hitting a coach. I don't know. <laughs> I just hope Liam's not going to make me take that out of the podcast. Cause that's <laughs> like, <laughs> statue of limitations at this point. I mean, that would have been seven yeah. years ago, right? Like it's true. Yeah. I'm so yeah, far gone. They can't touch me now. No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But Bruce, you're a bit of a bomber on the fairways, hey? Uh, yeah, yeah. I hit the ball a good distance, I guess. Has that always been part of your game, or do you have to learn that when you came to the Vikes? No, I definitely didn't learn it from the Vikes. I grew up playing with most of the juniors I played with uh, were a bit older than I was, so I was always kind of playing catch up. And so I think that I kind of credit my my distance to playing with guys when I was like ten who were sixteen. And so I kind of tried to always keep up with them. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of carried that through. And it's fun hitting it far, for sure. But it definitely uh, leads to a lot of trouble every once in a while. But when I'm dialed in, like, it's it's nice, for sure. And Bruce knowing a lot about trees. Oh, yeah, you hit the trees quite a bit. A little bit, yeah. I mean, every once in a while. Are you a practice swing on the tee box with your driver, or are you just a grip it and rip it? No, I'll take one practice swing. Yeah, I'm not uh, – my routine is pretty quick. I've always been a really fast player. I like playing, uh, like, first group in the morning and getting it done in two and a half hours. So my routine, even on the greens, has always been fairly quick. But I, I still, you know, I still take – I take a little, like, half swing, I find, and then I walk up to it. Yeah, I always find that if I take a practice swing on the tee box, I'm instantly in my head. So I just get up there, put the ball down as fast as I can, and just rip it and hope for the best. Yeah, you know, that's not bad. It doesn't always work, though. Yeah, it's never always going to work. That's the best thing about oh. golf. Nothing ever always to work. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's the most true thing I've heard about golf in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Bryn, have you picked up any tips from the tee box from Bruce? No, she's a oh. bomber too. <laughs> we both yeah. – wait, wait, this is the best part about our whole career. We both hold the NAIA Long Drive Championship when we competed. We both yeah, won Yeah, we it. did. We both did. I, it's true. I knew that about Bruce. I didn't know that about Bryn. So that's fantastic. What do you use? Because I think, I'm, if I heard correctly, Bruce, you used a three wood to win that? No, no, no. I used what? a driver, but I had a, I was a, so this would have been back in 2018, I believe. And I was using uh, the Titleist 915. So it was four or five years old at that point. And so I think people were a little shook that I beat them with that. But <laughs> So I would like to clarify. I did not win the NAI long drive contest. I came oh. in second. I thought you won. Oh. No, because the winner, the prize was a golf bag. And I remember Justin saying, Brent, if you won, like, what are we, we're going to have to fly your golf bag home. Oh, so you held back? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we, this was when we weren't sure if I, like, how I had done, because they announced it at the opening ceremonies dinner, and they had the prizes up there, and the winner got a golf bag, and I came in second, and I got, like, a scorecard holding book, and I used that for so long afterwards. I was way happier to come second. But people don't talk about that so much with me, because Bruce hits it like I got 100 the golf. yards past me. I got the golf bag. Yes, and you got the golf bag. <laughs> yeah, I've got the – and it was a pain in the <laughs> to bring home, I'll tell you that much. That's so. what I'm saying. So who is the winner there? Yeah. Yeah, I don't fair know. Yeah. So cool. how far are you guys bombing it? How far do you guys rip it? Like a, for, like my longest drive I've ever hit would be upwards of the 400-yard mark, but like on an mm. average day, yeah. I mean, it, you know, I'll, I'll average over 300 for sure, but I, I'm like – I, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to say like on average how far I'm hitting it because you know I don't have people track my stats all the time. But right. you know, I hit it over 300 yards most of the time. You, you don't have the pro tracer with you on the weekend. 
Uh, my uh, I didn't bring my GC quad with me when I go up and play my yeah. go rounds. What about you, Brent? Oh, same. Four hundred yards for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> See, everybody laughs because there's no way that could be. I honestly, um, I don't remember. Like one time, I was in a long drive contest, and I remember somebody I won that one, but I was a junior, and someone wrote the distance on my ball, and it said two ninety. So I think on good. average, yeah, I, I was probably hitting it more like 260, 270. And then if I really ripped one, I could get it there. I don't remember ever recording hitting it to a 300 yards. I don't think I can. Bruce would probably know better than I do. Uh, she was probably sitting at like a 260, 265 carry sort of thing. And then it would roll out a little bit. It, that it, sounds it, right. Yeah. I actually probably knew Bryn's yardage is better than she did back when we were playing competitively. It's true. Like with Bruce and I ever played together, I like he would tell me what to hit. I, I always wanted to use him as a caddy, but it was annoying because he was busy playing too. He knew my game better than I did. So, yeah. I think 260. I think you got me beat. What about you, Liam? I'm around, yeah, 250, 260 probably. I mean, like my driving is so inconsistent that I'm just happy to get a clean shot. Okay, so Bryn, uh, now I spoke with Bikes head coach Justin Clues, and now I'm borrowing a, a kind of a phrase he used, but using a different phrase at the same time. And he essentially put you on the Mount Rushmore for the greatest women golfers in Bikes history. Uh, when you hear something like that from a head coach, what does that mean to you? Oh, that's so sweet. Wow. You know, it's been really cool since you guys asked us to do this podcast. I started like reflecting back on my career at UVic because not to age myself too much, but I graduated five years ago and I was like pulling up pictures that were from seven, eight years ago. So this is stuff that's not really on the forefront of my mind anymore. So it's really cool to hear Justin say that. And I think now that I've been removed from it a little bit longer, I can look back and actually see what I did accomplish. And I'm very proud of it. Justin is, it's so interesting. He's just the nicest person ever. But the cool thing is when, yeah, when I started playing, he came on as an assistant coach. And I remember we were all hoping that he would get the head coaching job. So him and I kind of started our relationship before he was in the head coaching position. So that's, it's just really, that's really flattering to hear him say that. There's been a lot of great golfers going through the program. I think it's, I don't know, it's an honor to be put in that category. I think that's really cool. I said Mount Rushmore. He said you're one of the three or four greatest. I kind of kind of made the connection there. And the reason because you were one of four women's golfers to win the individual Canadian title. That came in your fifth year in 2015 when I went back and I read the story. You knocked down mm-hmm. a 15-footer to win the national championship by one stroke. What do you remember about that final hole and then maybe lining up that final putt? It's funny because I tried to remember as much as I could leading up to this. And that last hole, I think, is something I will remember in detail for the rest of my life. Like, I can pull myself back to the exact moment and remember everything that happened. Basically, at the beginning of my fifth year, I looked at my coach, Dave, and I said, I want to win nationals. And so we took the entire year to do everything that was possible to get to that last hole. My coach at the time who was at the tournament with us was Allie Quinlan. So she was coaching with the team. She's an ex-Fikes golfer as well. And her and I were standing on the 18th tee. I was tied with the this girl from Quebec. And we both hit our drives up the middle, no big deal. And Allie was walking up the fairway with me. And she said, 
she said, how are you feeling? And I was like, I'm good. I said, Allie, you know, when there's like those certain people in your life that when you have a really emotional moment or something really big happens to you, you look at them and you just cry. And I said, this is my last hole as the UVic bike. And I'm thankful as much as I would have loved for my family to be here. I'm thankful that nobody is here. That's going to make me look at them and cry. And she was like, okay, cool. So you're going to be good. And I was like, yeah. So we had our approach shots and I was just short of the green. It was this huge uphill part four. Like you couldn't see the green. It was way up at the top of the hill. And the girl I was playing with hit into the bunker. So then I chipped on and again, had like 15 feet. I was a little aggressive. I think I was trying to hole out and just get it over with, but I missed. And the girl who was in the bunker got out of the bunker, but not onto the green, got on, tapped in for a five. So I was standing over a downhill putt for a four to win nationals. And I remember every second that led up to hitting that putt and to it going in. And to fast forward, when I picked up my ball and walked across the green and looked at Allie, I started crying. And I said, I guess that you are one of those people. And so as much as like, it was cool that it was me doing that, like it just goes to show how much the the coaches and like your teammates and everybody makes such a huge difference that it was my win, but there were a lot of people behind me that I think it's their win too. That makes sense. It's a great story and a great way to close out your career playing university golf field. Bruce, how proud were you of your sister? Oh, I mean, when she told me that she won the Canadian university title, that was crazy. I remember her going into university and she was obviously really good, but really good out in Nova Scotia wasn't always, or in the East Coast wasn't the same as really good in sort of the Ontario over to BC side. So I know when she got to there, like she had to, you know, fight for her spot on the team and make those traveling teams. And I, I haven't seen anybody that works as hard as my sister. She's not naturally that good at stuff, but by God, she will work as hard as she can to be absolutely amazing at something. She did the same thing with volleyball when she was in high school. She did the same thing with school when she was in it. And she did the exact same thing with golf. So, I mean, it was really just uh, just what she had been working for, I want to say, since she was kind of in high school. And uh, it really kind of came to fruition in that last year. It was, really, it was a really cool thing to sort of be a part of and, and be around for and get to watch her kind of close out her career with the, uh, with the bikes. That's unreal. And where was that tournament? I was in Guelph, Ontario. Yeah. And Bruce was in Nova Scotia with my dad playing golf when I called them. Oh, yeah, we were on and the second I- fairway. Yeah. And apparently they caused quite a commotion screaming on the fairway, which yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, that was cool. Nice. And any other accomplishments with the bikes that you're proud of or even just over your golf game in general? Yeah, I would say, again, I'm still very, very proud of the fact that I made the university worlds or the Canadian worlds team three times in my five years. So that was amazing experience for me. I hadn't done a lot of traveling prior to going to university and through golf, I actually ended up competing for Canada in the Czech Republic, Switzerland, and Korea. So yeah, still some of like the highlights of my life were doing those trips. It's it's incredible. When we were in Korea, it was a full FISU games where the other two in Europe were golf only. So I had a bunch of also like other UVic bike athletes that were there with me and we had an athlete's village and it, it was like a stage I had never played on before. And it, that all became possible because I stayed in Canada and played for a Canadian university. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of getting to do that. I've heard that Korea as a country is so cool to go visit as well. 
We were in a city called Gwangju, which had millions of people, but not by far not one of their biggest cities. And it was gorgeous. It was huge and very, very hot. And the golf course was very difficult. It was like climbing a mountain every day in 40 degree heat. And I think we averaged like a five and a half hour round at least. So it was quite grueling, but still a really cool experience. Justin referred to you as a consistent golfer for bikes as well. And it appears that you traveled consistently with the team in your third year. Do you have any yeah. victory determinants that stand out in your mind? So I guess uh, I had three wins over my collegiate career with the Vikes. I think it was, I can't remember what year, it might have been my first or my second year that I actually won Vikes shootout, which was at Cordova Bay. That was pretty cool because it was kind of near the end of our fall season. And I had uh, luckily made it onto most of the traveling teams for that year and was playing really well. And then to kind of close out the season or like the fall season with a win, that my first year was really cool. Uh, I definitely will remember that one forever. And then I actually closed it out in my fifth year and, or maybe it was my fourth year. I honestly, I can't remember anymore, but I won it again later in my career, which I thought was pretty cool. My favorite victory, we went to Palm Springs for an event and uh, you get a lot of like, obviously just desert courses out there. But we had a tournament that the wind was probably blowing about 60 kilometers an hour each day. And I grew up playing on the on the coast of Scotia, so always a lot of wind. And uh, I just kind of kept my composure and played really solid golf through there and, and pulled the victory out of that one, which I think was sort of just a, like a testament to the kind of style that I like playing. And uh, I guess just like it kind of reminded me of playing at home, even though it was in a totally different climate. So which of those bike shootouts were the ones that were in like absolutely brutal conditions? We heard that. All, all of them are in Most players were shooting high 70s and you shot high 60s, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, I remember that one we had just, again, it was a ton of wind. I played really well in the wind because I just grew up playing in it. So again, we probably had like a like a 30 gust and a 50 kind of day. And a lot of guys, I, I find a lot of people out west especially kind of play the uh, high and soft approach to golf because you kind of can out there. There's a lot of protection from the trees and all that stuff. So we had a super windy day. And I mean, I was just sort of in my element. Like that's how I always play. I could hit driver 10 feet off the ground and dead straight if I have to. And I think stuff like that's really what makes the difference in a golfer just as a complete player. Like you need to be able to pick up on all those uh, different conditions and be able to play through them. And I think that might be, I find that's a big difference between the like professional leagues and the sort of amateur and university leagues is you don't quite see the diversity in people's games. So yeah, that was a, that was a cool one because I did, I played really well again, which is always nice. Yeah, I played Cordova Bay a couple weeks back, uh, and it was brutal wind conditions, like something that Victoria hadn't seen all summer. And it's like you're hitting the ball into a wall, and it just yeah. drops on the ground. I don't know how yeah. you how you pulled out the high 60s in that. It's crazy. You make a really good point that, like, being from Nova Scotia and playing on the coast all the time, you and I really were at a bit of an advantage because we learned – so young how to hit through the wind mm-hmm. um, and that was something that helped me a ton in Guelph because the second day of the tournament there it was super windy and everybody's scores went way up and I was one of the few people whose score went way down from the first day so I think we could both see that as a pattern that the days that the field struggles in the wind Bruce and I tend to be okay which is it's kind of a cool factor something that came out of growing up in Nova Scotia and playing on such a windy golf course I have no idea how you hit these 10 foot stingers with the driver. Cause mine, <laughs> the wind would have a field day with mine. Cause I'm hitting it like to the moon. It would get knocked. 
uh, at least one fairway over. I have no idea how you pull that off. You got to just do what DJ does. You tease it up like almost like you're sitting an iron. It's like a half inch off the ground. Tee it down real low. And if you're right-handed, just aim down the left side because it will never go left. I, I don't know how much lower I could tee it up, but I'll, I'll try it. Right. Well, I'm a high tee kind of guy. That's probably why I shoot it to the moon. Uh, really quickly before we move on here, when you played in Palm Springs, was that when you guys saw Kevin Na at the driving range? No, that was during our uh, prep for the season. So we did that New Year's Day. We flew out there and uh, spent a week down there getting ready for the spring uh, the spring season. And yeah, Kevin Na and uh, John Huh were out there playing. It's funny, actually, because we saw them rolling back to their house and they already had masks on. So they were a little ahead of their time back then. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think that because they're both from, I think Kevin Na is from China. So I think it's a little more in his kind of culture that, that they were used to wearing masks. So maybe he was feeling under the weather that day. But We heard you gave it to Kevin Na a little bit, though, on the driving range. I did. He drove in front of us while we were all hitting balls. And so I, I teed one up and I, and I took a swing at him and he actually flinched, but I didn't hit the ball. And right? I wasn't going to hit Kevin. Nah. He worth <laughs> a lot more money than I was. So, yeah. Being on the golf team, you guys have a awesome road trips. You're going down to California, Washington, Oregon, quite regularly. Whereas the basketball team and soccer teams, they go to like Winnipeg. Are there any other than the Kevin Nas story? Are there any other great road trip stories you guys are able to share with us? Oh, I mean, I have a ton, but it's like, again, they were so long ago. We were so yeah. lucky. I look at that all the time. Like you said, like we were going, I remember my friends when I lived in residence used to get so mad at me because every other week I was going to Arizona, California, like just to go and play golf. And everybody thought mm-hmm. we were just there to vacation, but there were so many hours put mm-hmm. in those vans when we drove those these big SUVs that I hardly remember like it all blends into one I can tell you that but if you did like a reel of somebody's life and you could do every scene in the van like you could sum up a whole five years of my life going to all these tournaments I'm trying to think of like a good road trip story right now there was a lot of Chipotle involved a lot of Panera Bread it was mostly about food. Everything was about food. Yeah. Oh, and always at the Olive Garden. So I was unfortunate enough that my birthday fell on a golf tournament every year. So I spent the first four birthdays away from home in Olympia, Washington. Don't know if you guys have ever been to Olympia, Washington, but there's absolutely it's not nothing. Bad. There's not much to eh. do in Olympia, Washington. There's not much going on in Olympia, Washington, especially when you're staying in like a red lion and playing at Olympia, <laughs> Olympia Golf Club, and also not my favorite golf course. So four birthdays in a row, I spent in Olympia, Washington and ate Olive Garden. And I do remember one year we brought breadsticks home because why not? The breadsticks are amazing. And the next yep. day we tried to eat them and it was like eating a rock. It's a really happy birthday to me all the time. <laughs> Yeah, Olympia really doesn't have much going for it. They have that big bridge, don't they? They do have a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> what mountain? What mountain can you see from the golf course there? Mount Washington. Baker. Oh, Mount Baker. But I don't think you can see Baker from Olympia. You can see it. We play it, my one of my favorite tournaments every year was played in Bellingham, Washington, and you can see Baker really well. And the Bellingham, it was a Bellingham Golf and Country Club, one of the nicest courses I played in my five years. I love that place. It's really beautiful. One of my best friends is from Bellingham, so I'm going to have to – and he's being, he loves that golf course, so I'm going to have to tell him that we got yeah. fans north of the border there. That is a sweet track, actually. I like that golf course it's as well. It's an awesome, awesome golf course. Really big trees there. Really yeah, big really trees. Yeah, really big trees. Really, a yeah. lot of them too. I can yeah. Follow. I'm 
hit every single. I've hit every single one of them. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. Aside from Bellingham, we just want to know a couple of your favorite golf courses in North America because you guys have been all over Canada and the states. But then, if you could rein it in for us locally, what are some of your favorite courses in BC? Out east, we have a ton of really. I've got. I've been lucky enough to go to Cabot and play both those courses up there. So Cabot yeah. Links and Cabot Cliffs will always be at the top of the list. Uh, but there's actually another golf course, the Highlands, that's up in Cape Breton, and uh, it's one of the most beautiful golf courses I think I've actually ever played. They don't keep it in the best shape because it was actually uh, municipally owned, so they didn't put a ton of money into it. But it's uh, Stanley Thompson and de- design, and it is absolutely amazing. You feel like you're in four different places at once. It's really an incredible, uh, incredible golf course. Other than that, like I've played a couple of like, Northumberland's my home track and that's going to be my favorite golf course forever. I'm actually just 20th year as a member there. Celebrating that. And then uh, the Toronto golf club, I got to play that three years ago at uh, the Canadian am. And that's one of the most beautiful golf courses I've played. I absolutely love that golf course. So I would, it's very private and it felt very private when you're there, but the the opportunity to play there was incredible. When you guys get the opportunity to play some of these private courses that aren't for tournaments, are you guys like still cracking beers, like having a good time or are you like dialed in because you know it's an expensive round? Is this pre-golf team or post-golf team? Oh, this is recreational golf. This is like (laughs) social golfers. Well, I haven't played many privates. Like I haven't played a whole lot of really beautiful golf courses recreationally. I think most of the really nice golf courses I've played have been competitively. So or I would say, as a uh, representative of UVic, you're at these private clubs, so we weren't cracking beers on the right. golf course. <laughs> yeah, you weren't cracking beers at the golf course. No. I uh, I play a lot of casual golf now, and uh, I will say I like to have a beverage or two on the golf course. It just you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of like golf's kind of like a little mini vacation now for me. I don't know. I feel like golf gets a bad rap because you're able to have a beer while you play. Like it just, it's a normal. I'm sorry we get to have fun, you know, like. I know, like people have to stop hating on it. It's just a cool part of the thing. You're outside getting fresh air and exercise. You should be allowed to drink too. That's fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Golf and slow pitch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much it. Yeah, we don't get the same opportunity. I don't get the same opportunity now to play as much golf and at as many places as I did when I was on the UVic team. UVic is so unique in that somehow the entire golf community has agreed to be behind the team. So I used to have like a standing Wednesday round at Gorge Vale, and we used to play weekends at Bear Mountain. And we had uh, one year we when we hosted the Canadian Nationals at Cordova Bay, I think we played 18 holes there every Tuesday. And we were allowed to go to the Ridge every Friday. So we had such a unique opportunity to play all these amazing golf courses for no money at all. And we always wore our gear so people knew who we were, but it actually was cool to see how much the golf courses liked having us there. I think they wanted us there as much as we wanted to be there. So that's such a a cool experience. I, I don't think there's a lot of universities out there that have such free range at so many golf courses in the area. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's awesome. some of your other favorite courses? Well, I used to work at Victoria Golf Club, and I would say in the summertime, in the evenings, that is my favorite place in the world to be. It's so beautiful there, and I loved working there. So that's one of my favorites. Honestly, for uh, nostalgic reasons, Cordova Bay is one of my favorite golf courses. We played my first ever Canadian Nationals there and the Vikes shootout every year, and I just have such fond 
memories of being there. Plus I love the golf course itself is awesome. It's very playable. It's fun. It's pretty. I love that spot. And one of the coolest golf courses I ever played was when we went to Switzerland for the Canadian university games. And we played on this golf course that was actually on the top of a mountain. So we were driving through this valley and then we drove up the side of the mountain and it actually shared some of the terrain from the ski runs and you stayed in the ski village. So we would be putting. Yeah. So we'd be putting on one green and looking across at like a neighboring mountain in Switzerland. And I think that was the coolest golf course I ever played. And they actually play the Omega European masters there or they've played it there before. So I've seen it on TV too. And it looks very cool. So the U S open starts today. Both Liam and I have been keeping an eye on it. We will you guys interrupted the last hour, by the way, I'm not totally impressed by that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was going to, well, we could update you, but I was going to say that you mentioned Cabot is one of your favorite golf courses. I've seen Bob Weeks talk about it probably like 35 times today on the commercial. Yeah. So it looks like a great spot. How much, we're just curious, how much golf do you guys watch? And is there anyone you're keeping an eye on this weekend? Brent, why don't you answer this one? <laughs> That's funny. So I will fully confess that I do not have cable. So I yep. only look at the scores every now and then, and I actually have not watched a minute of it yet. I know that makes me a terrible golfer, but I'm a Sunday golf watcher. Fair enough. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce uh, will know more than me. Yeah, I'm in a different boat there. I definitely keep up on golf i like watching it i like watching uh like i've been i pretty much i found uh they've been streaming it on the u.s open website all day so my work day wasn't in, super productive today but yeah i watch i watch a ton of golf an early pick who do you think is going to take this felt jt had a good chance coming in but he's in the lead so it's a little it's a little rude to say that right now it doesn't seem like it's right but i i do love jt he's not one of my favorite players but man his short game's so good and he's such a good ball striker that around a golf course like this like obviously he's going to succeed and then i think Zan has a pretty good shot that guy's always been playing well for the last like three four years pretty much since he won the tour championship a couple years ago uh he's pretty much always in contention and i liked morikawa but i'm kind of starting to see his age as well and so i'm a little bit i think he's i mean he won the pga so you obviously have to say he's an amazing golfer but i think he he might be getting a little ahead of himself sometimes so i think he needs he'll 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 have a okay finish here but i don't think he's gonna contend really if joffley or Justin Thomas pulls it off. We heard it here first from you. Yeah, I'll take that for sure. I'll take that for sure. I think I have them yeah. both of them in the pool right now, so I'll, I'll take that. Right what about Rory Sabatini? I want, I'm want. i pulling for him for no other reason than he's a Slovak. He started out well, but he bogeyed the last two to finish off at minus one on day one. He does this a lot, though. He shows up for um, some random rounds and some big tournaments. I mean, he's been playing for so long now. I'm wondering if just, like, once you're that deep into it, you probably just know how to play a little bit better under circumstances like the U.S. Open and all your majors. So he does this every once in a while. He's always around. It's almost like how Charlie Hoffman is almost guaranteed to lead the Masters after the first day. He's just one of those guys who's always there most of the time. Yeah. Did see that Rory is currently in the top 10. I love Rory. I think he's the best golfer that's on the PGA Tour, but I don't think he has the head for it, unfortunately. I love Rory. I think he's a way better golfer than everybody. I I think he has the total game. He has everything going for him, but I just don't think he can put it all together at once. And that's what makes me mad because when he does put it together, it is phenomenal to watch. And fun fact, he just had a baby. They mentioned that like a hundred times on the broadcast. Welcome to the, yeah. Welcome to the present, Bryn. Yeah. Well, I already, I'm just throwing it out. I'm not making, I'm not making fun of you. I'm not making fun of you, Bryn. Yeah, that's fine. 
but it was like after every time you had a good hole, it's like, wow. And this is Rory's first major being a new dad. Like, okay, we get it. I wonder it. if he's going to dedicate this shot to Poppy. <laughs> just say, we saw it so much with, uh, I'm not sure how much basketball you guys watch, but uh, Fred Van Vliet had a kid midway through the Raptors run last year. And every time he hit a three, it's like, oh, he's shooting so much better since he had a kid. So that's just what we do in sports now is if like, if someone's playing well, after they have a kid, it's because they're a dad and they just have this whole new perspective on life. Like that's the secret to success, I guess. Yes, so I think it's probably it's probably because they've become a dad in the middle of a very important sports moment. So they are not with the kid and they're sleeping full nights, maybe. Do you think Rory's staying up all night with Poppy <laughs> that before he has to go tee off? Probably not. He did say he changed the first couple diapers, so I'm not gonna uh, I'm not gonna say anything against him. <laughs> the first couple. Yeah. Poppy literally means dad in Spanish, so that's a bit strange. But It is a weird name. I'm not a huge fan of that. Last golf question about your guys' game, then we're going to get into some more stuff about the PJ Tour. Uh, Bruce, we heard you're attempting to get into the Canadian Tour qualifying school. Is that true, and can you tell us what that is about? No, that's pretty false, I would say, at this point. I had talked about it uh, maybe at the end of my bikes career. But I, I, there, I haven't made any sort of effort to do that anymore. My golf huh. career is very much casual. I'm big into two mans. I love playing a good scramble now, and uh, you know I like playing like my weekend morning rounds. But as for like hardcore competitive, I think I'll get back into it again at some point. But for now, I, I've been keeping it pretty casual. It's so hard to make it on those tours, and you have to grind for so long, and you have to have the right backing to do it. It's really something that you have to dedicate your whole life to, which I mean, I, I might have done at one point in my life, but right now, I mean, I'm happy with what I'm doing. I love playing golf again. It's easy to kind of lose interest when you play competitively for so many years in a row. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm just, I love what I'm doing right now and I'll, I'll get back into it again, but I don't think I'll try and go pro ever. Yeah. Scramble golf and like not playing for score is so much more fun than just getting down on yourself about birdies and bogeys and all that. Yeah, Exactly. Have someone to bail you out. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I'm not going to hit all my shots good anymore. That's the problem. Not that I ever did, but there are a lot. I hit a lot more bad shots now, I would say for sure. We played for so many days for so many years, and it was all we paid any attention to that honestly, when I graduated, I was very happy to take a break from playing golf. And now it's just a fun thing. And I, there's lots of people who go on and try to keep playing but uh, yeah i same idea it's just like when it's your whole life for so many years you pick up different things later when you're not playing golf all the time as you mentioned before the four of us all love golf we've been keeping up with the u.s open that just started so we want to do one of our favorite games we like to call it the take zone where you guys get the opportunity to tell us some hot takes but we're going to do a little pga spin so what we'll be doing is writing down a list of some notable pga tour players whether they're good golfers, notable golfers, not so good golfers, funny personalities, uh, you'll hear some names that are familiar. And we just want you to tell us what you think about their game, what you think about them as people, and go from there. Sound pretty straightforward? I think sure. so, yeah. Okay, we're going we're gonna to kick it off with one that's uh, close to Canada in a way. Dustin Johnson. Is he close to Canada because he won the RBC? No, because no, he's, he's married, married to Paulina. Oh, because he married Paulina. Ah, that's a, that's an afterthought. His father-in-law is the, the great one. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't say he's close to Canada though. I wouldn't. I mean, I get I get where you're coming from, but don't I, you I see was... him in those RBC commercials. Yeah, 
like I mean, like Brant Snedeker does the RBC commercials. Like, what does it take to get <laughs> yeah. sponsored by RBC? You know, have your eyes a little too close together. Like, but I he like uh, commercials. He doesn't say a single word either. It's just him swinging a golf club from a green screen. That of and like nodding his head. It's like, how much you get paid for this commercial? I'm like, come on. Yeah, I uh, I like DJ a lot. Actually, I like his style. I like his attitude on the golf course. He's super laid back. He has a cool factor, that's for sure. Yeah, right. he, they call him the gunslinger. I heard one person call him that, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and they tried the to people. they tried to attach it to an interview. Uh, I think in the, the last of them, I, I like his style of play. I like him as a guy. I like that he got kicked off the tour for a little while because he was just partying too much. Yeah, I would if you could be anybody. I mean, pretty much everyone would want to be Dustin Johnson. I would think. Do you guys remember that one shot? It was a dog leg left. And uh, most people were laying up and then shooting at the green. He just went right over the water. Yeah, against Jordan in the playoff, he did it too, oh right? Oh, that was a defining moment in his career. Yeah, he's, uh, I mean, he's been amazing the last couple of years. And uh, I think he's uh, definitely, obviously, a Hall of Fame player. I mean, he has 23 victories now on tour. It's going to be tough for guys to get to those kind of numbers. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I respect the guy for sure. I think his greatest accomplishment is honestly having Wayne Gretzky as your father-in-law. But... Uh, I was watching a little golf last weekend and like chipping onto the green is, has been a real struggle for me this year. It's getting better, but he just like casually walked up, like didn't even really kind of look at what he was doing and got his feet set and just swung and put it within like five feet of the pins. Like I could never in a thousand years. So like you said, he just so casual. It's like, how do you do that? I just don't understand. Got that like California surfer vibe. He's funny. They ask him in interviews how he pulls off shots that he pulls off. And he, does, he doesn't have any way of explaining it to people. They're like, how do you hit this like 50 yard spin shot? He's like, he's like, I don't know. I just, you know, I hit it. Like, I don't know what you guys want me to tell you. I, he's one of those guys where I think the technical side of the game isn't lost on him, but I think he, it doesn't mean much to him. If there's a little adjustment, he's more of a fundamental guy. He'll make a small adjustment and that'll be it. I like that about him. I think he's chill. Like he's not asking to be, you know, watched or talked about, even though he's married to Paulina. He just like, he just hangs out. He looks cool. He doesn't really say much and he just has a little strut and he walks around and hits it a mile. So I'm a fan. I like DJ. Last thing I want to say about DJ. Do you guys remember it was like six or seven years ago? Maybe he was just rocking the soul patch. Yeah. Yes. With the flat brims. Yeah. I don't want that look to come mm-hmm. better. No, I think his beard is a lot better now. I like the beard. Yeah. yeah. The next name on our list, young guy that got a lot of, is he the next Tiger Buzz? Jordan Spieth. <laughs> what, what roller coaster is that guy riding these days? Yeah. Probably unbelievable. I always feel for Jordan Spieth because he did so well at the beginning and everybody was like, Jordan Spieth is the man and everyone loved him. And then he had like a string of bad play where he wasn't on the top anymore. This was like a long time ago. I actually don't know how he's doing now. No, this is like the last five years of his career. But that's what I mean. It was like, not a long time ago. But I think he's like a perfect example of how difficult golf is for competitive players because you start doing well and then you get all of this expectation and it doesn't become about your game anymore. It becomes like you're only given value if you continue to win and it's so easy to crack under that and I think Jordan just like has sort of lost his he lost his mojo he's taking this he's the he's the epitome of what Graham Dillette's going through right now Graham Dillette had to take a mental break from golf and I think Jordan we might see the same thing from Jordan one of these days 
I I'm feel like everyone should want to take a mental break from golf every now and then. I don't know. I'm going to make a comparison here to uh, another Canadian icon that, that Tyler's a fan of. I feel like he's like the Justin Bieber of golf. Super Huge popular Bieber guy fan. with doing his thing. And then you kind of realize he's a bit of a head case. And it's just like, God, some stuff he's got to figure out. Yeah, I wish I, he was more like Justin Bieber. I wish he would drive his Ferrari down that like sunset going a hundred miles an hour. You know, like I think, I think he needs to do something. He needs to get excited about something and, and, and let loose a little bit. He should go hang out with Bieber. I think that would really help his golf game. Honestly, it probably would. He should hang out with Dustin a little more. I think. Do you guys I, remember I, when he had that trip with, I think it was Justin Thomas, Ricky and another younger guy from the tour. And they all yeah. played in like shorts and no shirts after the tour was over that year. He needs more of that. He needs the, the spring break 2017 in his life again. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. That's what he did. Yeah. More than the winning, when I think of Jordan Speed, I just think of the double dunk he did in the Masters. I think it was like 2016 where he was in first mm. and that shot him down to like fourth or fifth and he just never recovered from that. But that's this, when I think of Jordan Speed, that's what I that's what comes to mind. I sort of picture him when he was he throws tantrums every now and then and you can just picture his Jordan. tantrums yeah and it's very frustrating to watch because oh. it's just so so sad to see he needs a caddy that's also like his therapist to get him through it you, you shouldn't be playing professional golf if you're still working on that sort of stuff no i think growler's the perfect guy he's a grade four teacher he knows how to handle guys that are immature so i think he's doing all right with growler there okay next guy on the list this guy is known for not really liking golf all that much, but he's really good at it. Brooks Kepka. Yeah, Brooksy. Oh, Brooks. He's injured, though. What's going on with him? I, I wonder about that Tough guy year. sometimes. I think, I mean, obviously, an incredible golfer. Like, that when he was going on the tear of uh, winning the U.S. Open and the PGA back-to-back, those, those two years were just wild to watch. But I don't, he doesn't, I don't know if he doesn't – I don't know if he has it all the time. I think I, it is. I think he's not interested. I think he's like the anti-Jordan Spieth, where Jordan Spieth is thinking too much and there's too many thoughts, where Brooks doesn't have enough thoughts. Jordan but has that the actually, body of a 12-year-old and Brooks looks, looks like an actual man. There you go. I think that, that, that maybe his lack of you know thinking actually works to his advantage because he's very like – it's just very clear in there. I like Brooks. I feel for him though, but at the same time, I don't feel for him that much because I know he doesn't care that much. No. How do you how do you feel for a guy that has four major championships under his belt? Well, I mean, in, I, uh, <laughs> I don't feel for him. PJ Championship the other weekend, he was like in contention on the last day, and then after a few like bad holes, they just didn't even show him on the cameras anymore. The poor guy got no airtime, and you knew he was just struggling through it. But he still put together a decent round. He shot like three or four over that round. Yeah. Nothing that'll win you at a major. No. I like him, though. He's a great player. Fun to watch. Uh, that stretch coming down. It might have been the U.S. Open thing. No, before Gary Woodland won. I think it was the, the second one that he won. He was just so clutch coming down the stretch. Like, it's he, he hits a lot of amazing golf shots when it really matters. So, that's pretty cool to see. And it, it really – I think he plays it off like it doesn't rattle him. I think he's just good at handling pressure. He's fun to watch. I think having all these different personalities on tour is what keeps it interesting. It's like watching reality TV. Absolutely, yeah. Someone that's grabbing a bunch of headlines these days seems to always be in the news, Bryson DeChambeau. Oh, the hat. Yeah, That's what I think of instantly. The hat is brutal. He looks like the Michelin man now. He put on whatever it was, like 60 pounds in quarantine, like bulking up. 
bulking up, as he says. I don't like them. I'm like seven or eight protein shakes a day. Ew. Yeah, yeah he's just consuming that. he's consuming yeah. calories and then they always they just the problem is is that Brayson DeChambeau's not a golfer he's a character and so they play to his character every time they talk about him and they always oh look how smart and he knows physics and stuff but like so they just try and throw him ridiculous questions in the post-round interviews and he tries to give them ridiculous answers it, it, it's it's more of a ploy for the audience than it is for golfers I don't think I can't imagine a lot of guys on tour like playing with him he calls the rules official in every single round. He did it today, actually, uh, when they were on like 13 or something like that. And it's just, it's, it's annoying. Doesn't he play all of his uh, irons at the same length? Yeah, he has all of his irons at six iron length. He has a custom made, custom made and weighted putter. He's got a driver shaft in his putter and he only yeah. hits driver on this golf course right now because he just wants to show that he can hit it really far. And I mean, it's obviously working for him. He's sitting at a couple under after today, so. I'm mad that he's really good because he's a bit of a gimmick. Yeah, I agree with that. He, um, I also read that after this tournament, he's going to experiment with a 48-inch shaft on his driver, which is like the longest possible shaft possible. Yeah, listen, we, we don't. I don't care what Bryson's going to experiment with. <laughs> shut, up, shut up, Bryson. You know, I'm, I'm tired of hearing that he's calling himself like a scientist when all he's doing is like tweaking the golf's the, his golf clubs, and then kind of what you were talking to earlier, Bruce. Uh, I hate that every time he like hits a, a huge, a monster shot, the commentator's like, oh, wow, he's really going for it. He's got his foot on the accelerator. It's like, show me all the other golfers today that are laying up on, on their like par fours. Like, he's the only one going for the for the green today? Like, that's not what I'm seeing. Oh, and if he's such a monster, why isn't he number one in driving distance? You know, like, yeah. I was just going to say, isn't the guy leading driving distance not even that big of a guy? Yeah, who is it? Cameron Champ, probably. Yeah, I think it is. That guy yeah. swings at like 125 consistently. Like, get out of here, Bryson. Go for a run. <laughs> you know, like go for yeah. a run. Stop taking so much creatine, man. You don't need it all. Yeah. You're just getting your own way. He looks like he looks like he's wearing a wet diaper all the time. Yeah, the poor guy is. <laughs> we'll talk about another guy that could probably uh, use a run, John Daly. I mean, yeah, John. John is. He was diagnosed with cancer, wasn't he? Yeah, I just saw I just saw a headline today saying you don't he feel was good diagnosed. About saying with... He needs to go for a run now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go for a run though, but John Daly. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Yeah. Like oh wow. Yeah, I saw a headline today that said he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, he didn't, doesn't exactly take the best care of his body, but you don't you don't want that cancer. So yeah. <laughs> It's kind of sad because he was always marketed as the guy who's not taking care of his body where they show him like sitting in his golf cart, drinking a beer, smoking, whatever. And now the headline is that he's sick. And I I wonder what the PGA is going to do with that because they always showed him as being this really unhealthy guy. But to his to his credit, there's a good story about him and Tiger. John was sitting at the bar in the clubhouse, obviously, and Tiger and he says tiger come have a beer with us and he's like tiger's like no i gotta go hit some balls tiger goes out practices for an hour whatever comes back john says hey man come come have a beer with us and he says no man i I gotta go practice some putting goes out and practice putting comes back an hour later and says john says to tiger man you gotta just relax come have a beer with us and tiger looked at him and said john if i was as good as you were i would have a beer with you so I think to, to John's credit, he is probably the naturally one of the best golfers that does yeah. exist, but he just didn't he didn't have that attitude. There's still videos that pop up of him like hitting these ridiculous golf shots with no shoes, guys lying on the ground and got like teas in their mouth and he's just driving off of them. Oh yeah. 
Yeah, I think he has fun, which, I mean, you can't really knock him for that. Absolutely. He's got two majors under his belt, I think. Yeah. U.S. and a PGA. I think, when they, I think if they're going to do a, a happy Gilmore 2, there's got to be a part in there for John Daly. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, he would. you'd have to feature him. I can't like imagine he's, happy he's the Gilmore new chums, maybe. Yeah, you can't follow up. Happy Gilmore with Happy. Another you don't one. think so? Like Happy, no, and, Happy and the media relations girl, they get married, they have a kid. Now Happy's kid wants to start golfing again, but he's still like a lunatic. You don't think there's a, no, a star out there in them? Oh, no, he don't. Man. He don't that's fix things that aren't broken. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I do I do hate seagulls for the most part, so that's great. Now, what do you guys think of Matthew Wolf's swing? Uh, his swing, whatever. Who cares about his swing? His, uh, <laughs> his, uh, when he did the charity event with the four guys and they went and played in the Palms or in the Bahamas or wherever they were, that's where I realized that Matt Wolf is an absolute wiener. It's like Ricky, like Ricky Fowler's playing with a 14-year-old, you know? Like, it was just so. I mean, his swing's interesting, whatever. George Gankus took over golf. It was cool that everyone's trying to do that swing now. But he has the worst wedge game on tour. He can't hit a green from inside 120 yards because there's just no control to that. So we'll see. I think he'll obviously have that swing forever, but he's going to have to put some work and do it for sure. It's a weird swing. And he's been doing it since he was a junior. It's pretty wild. Yeah. I can't believe nobody at, like tried to change it. No, they built it that way pretty much. Like they wanted it, is, it to look like that. Yeah, that's what Gankus is like a really famous Instagram golf coach, and that's what he teaches pretty much. Not exactly that dramatic, but high hands drop into a slot and turn left as hard as you can. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty standard golf swing that people are trying to copy now, which is unfortunate because it's not for me to watch. I imagine our swing coach Dave would be cringing pretty hard at that, I think. Liam was showing me his impersonation of the Matthew Wolf swing before we got on this podcast, and it was quite hilarious. So, yeah. <laughs> well, the hilarious thing wasn't that I was impersonating it; it was that that's a real swing. On but I mean, yeah. Jim Furyk—he shot fifty-eight and fifty-nine. So I mean, swing your swing at this point. Yeah. Yep. Here's Matthew a fun Wolf. fact about yep. Bruce: Bruce is very good at imitating people's golf swings, oh, and yeah. then he actually can hit the ball decent with an imitated golf swing. So really? very, yeah, you're very skilled at that, aren't you, Bruce? I just watch a lot of golf. I don't think it's a skill. If that's my skill, um, I need to do something else for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's just great hand-eye. That's what that comes down to. Yeah, pretty much. You guys, have any, like, you guys have any favorite golfers that you remember like, your dad idolizing when you were a kid? I, I mean, Tiger, oh. Tiger's my number one forever, for sure. Tiger? Yeah, yeah, Tiger will always like be. Bernie Ells and VJ Singh. My dad always used to like see those guys. I know. My dad's swing coach is Fred Couples. That's what he'll always do. Wow. He'll hit a good drive wow. and he'll say, yeah, I got on the horn with Freddie last night. He uh, gave me a tip here or there, and he says, we're, we're feeling pretty good going into the round today. He definitely used to talk about talking to Freddie. Oh, he, always called, he always gets Freddie on the horn if something's going wrong. So, he, doesn't, yeah, he doesn't actually, though. Our dad's very yeah. Uh, yeah, sarcastic. <laughs> he had the same uh, back surgeries that Tiger had. And he had to reconstruct his whole swing to kind of fit it as well. And that's why he has that kind of lazy snap at the top and everything to generate a little extra speed. So it's pretty interesting. Obviously, this year has been flipped on its head and has forced people, events, and sports to change how they usually operate. The Vice Classic Golf Tournament is no different. I think that's an event that you both were involved with when you were playing for the Vikes. Do you plan on participating in this year's golf tournament? And where do you think you'll be teeing it up? 
Well, with the format that they're doing this year, I can't see why I wouldn't participate. It's great that they're offering the opportunity for people all over to be a part of it. And uh, it's always for, uh, I mean, a great cause. And to be able to support the school that we went to, I personally, I'll be playing in Nova Scotia. Uh, it'll either be at my home track of Northumberland Lynx or uh, where I'm living right now, there's a golf course, Abergerhombie. That's really close that I'll try and uh, tee it up there. But yeah, I think it'd be great to be a part of and just uh, a kind of a nice way to reconnect with the school itself. The Vikes Classic over the years get brought so much money into our team and made it possible for me and my teammates and the people that came before and after me to do so much traveling and play in so many different tournaments. So I'm definitely going to look in, seeing if I can play maybe somewhere on the lower mainland, assuming that the smoke lifts over here, then I might be able to see my ball land. But yeah, I think it's such a great way to change it up. Uh, during this kind of weird time. Want more information? They can always go visit govicego.com slash golf classic. Yeah, I think it's important to have events like this still going on during the COVID pandemic. I mean, the golf program, all the Vikes programs are well supported through the community, but the, the golf, like everything you guys do in Palm Springs, like you guys get a ton of support from donors and alumni and everything. So I think it's really great to see that even though we're in these trying times now. It's still great to have something like this going on to support the current fights that are on the team. Absolutely. Yeah. As past players, it's, it's really cool to look back and see how much the community actually did help us achieve all of our accomplishments and have all the experiences that we did. So we're really thankful for them. And hopefully Bruce and I can contribute to the, the future of the golf team. So before we uh, send you guys off here, I want to ask each of you one last question. Reflecting on all the rounds of golf you played, whether it was with the bikes, without bikes, social golf, competitive golf, who is your dream foursome of people that you've played with in the past? That if you had one more round of golf that you would ever play, who would you like to play it with? Oh, I'm going to get super sentimental, I think, on that one. Oh, yeah. I think... I would keep it classic, and it would be Bruce, my dad, Brian, and my grandfather, who has since passed away, and he was like the inspiration to our golf. And Bruce and I, when we were kids growing up, we had a standing tea time every Wednesday morning with him, and I think if I could have any foursome, I would like to play on a Wednesday morning with them. Do you remember what time it was? 10.36. Is that right? I don't know if that's Uh, right or not. I don't know. I I think it was earlier than that. No, because he didn't like to get up too early. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, I would go. Um, I'm lucky. I get to pretty much play with my the foursome that I always I like playing with. I've uh, my dad always. I play with my dad once or twice on the weekend, so he's always in my group. My uh, one of my best buddies, Riley, who I actually met while working at Northumberland and ended up working for for uh, actually a year once I was done school. So uh, him and I play every weekend together. My other buddy who lives uh, who lives across the street from my uh, my my childhood home, uh, Mike Dynan, he'd be the other guy that I'd want to play with. Uh, they they know are super relaxed. They like to have a couple beers. We like to have fun. Uh, everyone is always in a good mood, and it's always a ton of laughs. So I think just, yeah, that'd be my – that'd definitely be my foursome all the time. That's awesome, guys. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's important that golf gets highlighted as such a social game and a great way to meet people and connect with some of your best friends and best people in their lives. Absolutely. Well, that was a lot of fun. Thank you both for coming on the podcast and relieving some of the glory days with the Vikes. We wish you both the best. And if you're ever in Victoria looking for two partners to fill out a foursome and shoot 100 with, you know who to call, all right? Right on. Appreciate it. Oh, 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 oh,
wrapped up that beautiful episode with Bruce and Bryn Tommy, two legends of the Vikes golf program, a couple bombers by the sounds of it. Tyler, what's the best part of your golf game? This summer's weird, and I'm maybe going to credit to credit it to the golf podcast we did with the Murchisons earlier in the spring, but this was the most golf I've ever played in the summer. I'm usually not a golfer, but this summer, uh, I guess I'm getting into a little bit more, and the best part of my game it really depends on the day. The start of the summer, I could drive it. I knew where I was going out of the tee box, but I would take two or three whacks with the wedge to get on the green and then two or three putts. Like I was easily over 115 and just hating it. But now the putter is dialed in. I can knock down the 10 or 15 footer like Bryn once famously did, but the driver has left me. I have no clue where it's going out of the tee box. So I need some consistency. What about yourself? My best part of my golf game is probably me, probably my lingo on the putting green. I love to be mm. that guy that gives a compliment when a guy misses a putt. Some good things. Good weight, nice line, good read. I love that. I love to encourage the fellow golfers on the course. So I'd honestly say that's the best part of my game. If we're talking swings, I like to hit a nice five iron mid fairway. That's probably my most comfortable golf shot. I'm pretty consistent with the five iron, I'd say. Yeah, irons are definitely my safest safest club to pull out of my bag. It doesn't really matter any kind of iron, really. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. They all work for me somehow. I just it's the stuff at the start and the end that I need to dial in. But maybe I don't know the craziest story we've heard on this podcast when Bryn told that story about her coach Dave saying, you know, wind up and take out some frustration on me. Have we heard a crazier story than that on the podcast that we've I'm been allowed to publish? Heard. The only other one that was kind of close is Bruce <laughs> hammering the golf cart and flipping it by the sounds of it at 10 years old. That's pretty funny too. Yeah. I can't imagine being another coach in that tournament and looking over and seeing Dave roll up his sleeves and say, give me your, give me your best shot. Like, that's <laughs> phenomenal. That is great coaching because you got a birdie on, this, on the next hole. That's knowing your athlete. Hey, it's reading when your athlete is frustrated and finding ways that you can adapt your coaching style to help them let's put it that way we also talked about favorite golf courses and they've played some incredible spots all over the world it sounds i i know you're you refuse it's like you got an ankle bracelet on you refuse to leave the island but what are some of your favorite golf courses the only course i've played outside of vancouver island is i think it's called Tawasan springs just a, a short ferry right away and it was actually really nice but favorite courses i've played in victoria I play Victoria Golf Course or Victoria Golf Club, the one that Bryn said she worked at, and it's incredible. Unfortunately, sun went down a little bit early. I didn't get finished my round, but I've also Tough. played Cordoba Bay. Cordoba Bay is a beautiful course where they play the bike shootout every year. Mm-hmm. When I went out to take this job with the Vikes just over a year ago, I didn't bring the golf clubs. I just brought basically two suitcases of clothes and the mountain bike. I'm thinking eventually when I come back to Victoria, I'm thinking about bringing the clubs. I'm just into it. I got the golfers itch now. I think we might have to go tee a couple up. You know what? Shout out to former golf phenom who used to play for the bikes and now alum, Shelby, who works in our facility. Yeah. Uh, he's a vendor at Gorge. And from what he's told me, he likes to just saddle up his electric bike, throw the clubs on his back and just goes for a nice pedal down to the course. I feel like you guys got that good. all too. Yeah, if you got the electric bike, that's one way of pulling it off. I don't think I can handle that on uh, my Rocky Mountain Thunderbolt. 
just too much going everywhere. But if I got a little motor on there, I think that's the only way to pull that off. We should definitely play around though when you bring those clubs. Of course. You ever play any winter golf? Never. No, it's a different ball game. Like I played in February, Victoria, and you are hitting the, if you hit the fairway, your ball is probably going like an inch deep. It's pretty brutal. Really? I've never seen grass in Canada in December, January, February until this past year when I was living out on the island. Well, we'll have to get you out to one of the courses and uh, change that pretty soon. Sure. Well, Tyler, another great episode in the books. What can our listeners do pump our tires a little bit? Pump our tires. I saw we had another five-star review come in. Appreciate it. Love to see that. So if you're liking what you're hearing, give us a review, give us a rating, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your grandparents. We're loving the content we're pumping out. I mean, this is part of our job, but I think we're having just too much fun having with some of these guests we've had on lately. So uh, let us know. And of course, please recommend future guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you guys. Well, that does it. Another episode of Give Me Go Bikes in the Book. We'll catch you guys next Monday. Thanks for listening to the Give and Go Bikes podcast, supported by the Ubic Alumni Association.